Thursday, July 23rd here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaaf. With me, as always, is Jared Small. And Jared, first, I want to apologize preemptively to you and anybody listening in case you guys hear any sudden bangs during the show. It's probably not me banging the table for Jack Doyle as you try to argue against him. It will actually be guys working on the new siding for my house. New siding, nice. Upgrade. Yeah, fancy. I hope that doesn't take away any of the magic, though. Of Draft Shark Studios for people to find out that that's just what I call my basement. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, you know, you're old when like new siding is the highlight of your summer, <laughs> right? I don't know if it's a highlight. It is funny though. Every time they start banging on any of the walls for the kids to just start complaining about it, like they're suffering while they're watching TV or playing <laughs> video games. All right, tough life. In the football realm, rookies have started reporting for the Chiefs and Texans, so it looks like we're still progressing toward a football season. There's still lots to be worked out here. We don't even know yet whether there's going to be any preseason games. Of course, we don't know what might happen when we get our first pretty much inevitable team COVID outbreak. But, you know, we're moving on here for now as though there is going to be a regular football season in 2020. Yeah, not, not to turn this into too much of a sales pitch, but I think I think this summer, more than any other, finding news is going to be tougher. I, mean, I don't expect there to be any preseason games, which sucks because I, I, I think we can learn a lot from the preseason. And even training camp, I think the reporter access is going to be limited. So I think the news coming out of camp is going to be less than we normally get. So, um, you know, we'll, of course, be trying to learn as much as we possibly can, posting on Shark Bites, posting it within articles. So just another reason to, to make sure you're checking out Draft Sharks every day. Yeah, I was just thinking about the reports aspect earlier when I you know I was taking notes for this and then usually I say okay we'll see what we hear about this guy this summer but like you said I, I don't think we're going to get reporters getting full access to practices saying what this guy looks like or even talking to coaches as much so it, it's going to be a challenge yeah we'll, we'll have to lean more on our you know pre-training camp analysis which is basically what we're doing now and in, in these podcasts and then I think we're going to have to adjust more early in the season to, to what we're seeing I wonder if it'll mean less ADP movement in mm-hmm. August. You know, a lot of times in the preseason we get these big performances, and suddenly a guy that that some were a little excited about sees a spike. Maybe we won't see those kinds of spikes uh, this summer like we usually do. Definitely. I mean, I think the training camp puff pieces move ADP. I think more than anything else, the preseason action. You know, you get some hot shot rookie that busts off one run. You know, I think about Amir Abdullah, like you know, whatever it was three or four years ago, had the one long preseason run and his ADP shot up a few rounds we're not gonna get that this year and th- this is a, probably a discussion for another podcast but um you know I think people in general seem to think rookies are gonna get off to to slower starts this year which is definitely possible I, I sort of believe that too but I think it also might suppress their their ADPs so you know maybe even if they do get off to slower starts there's still values in, in fantasy drafts yeah and we'll get to some of those rookies here this is episode five in our division by division preview series today it's the AFC South we will start with the Texans as we go in alphabetical order. They made some big personnel moves this offseason, but anything on the coaching front, Jared? So it, it's the same head coach, Bill O'Brien, back for his seventh season. Same offensive coordinator, Tim Kelly, back for his second season as OC, his seventh season with the team. He's been there since O'Brien arrived. The change here, though, is Tim Kelly is going to call plays. Bill O'Brien is giving those duties up. O'Brien has called plays for the Texans in five of his six seasons there. The exception was in 2015 when George Godsey 
was the play caller. You look at the, the pass rates, that 2015 season actually was the Texans' highest pass rate, but only by a slim margin. There wasn't a huge change. And that's sort of what I'm expecting here with Kelly calling plays. I don't think it's going to be a huge change. Kelly is sort of, again, an O'Brien disciple. He's been there working under him for all seven years in Houston. We'll see. What Kelly means is another case we're going to have to see what it looks like over the first few weeks of the season. We're not going to obviously see anything in in the preseason, but I don't expect a major change. I think Kelly is sort of just going to be an extension of Bill O'Brien. What do you see on the pass-run split front for this team? Yeah, again, it's been sort of a run-leaning offense under Bill O'Brien, and that's remained the case even the past two seasons. You know, with uh, Deshaun Watson under center, the Texans went 51.7% pass in 2018, 55.2% this past season. Those marks ranked 28th and 23rd league-wide. So again, it's been run leaning. I sort of expect it to stay there. I projected them at 56% pass for this season. Yeah, I could see that. I projected them at 58-42 pass run. I don't know how good they're going to be without DeAndre Hopkins for the first time. They also swapped out Carlos Hyde for David Johnson. You look at those two guys and you think that it's at least a wash in terms of running back talent. We'll talk about David Johnson in a few minutes, but I think it also might be now a team that's a little bit more built to to pass than to run because they don't have a big guy that carries the ball a lot right now in the mold of Carlos Hyde. They have two guys that are better receivers than they are runners than David Johnson and Duke Johnson. So I think overall, I wouldn't be surprised if they throw the ball a little bit more. Again, 58-42, though, I think is still a run-leaning offense in today's NFL. I'd argue that this team has been built to pass for you know at least the past two seasons with Watson under center for the full years, but they haven't gone in that direction. Again, maybe Tim Kelly changes that. Maybe the defense takes a step back and they're, they're forced to throw a bit more. But I, I still think they're going to finish in the bottom half of the league in pass rate. We'll go on to QB notes now, and whatever they do runs through Deshaun Watson. The big question at this point is not whether Deshaun Watson's good or whether he's going to produce in fantasy. The big question is what Deshaun Watson looks like without Deion DeAndre Hopkins. So I looked at the splits on his targets for DeAndre Hopkins and his targets for other people in his three years so far. Deshaun Watson to DeAndre Hopkins has completed 68.5% of his targets, 8.7 yards per attempt on balls to Hopkins, and a 6.5% touchdown rate for Watson on those plays. To all other pass catchers, 66% completions, 7.8 yards per attempt, 5.6% touchdown rate. So you can see drops in all three categories versus what he has done with DeAndre Hopkins, but all of those are still good numbers in those categories. And Watson, I I don't think Deshaun Watson is going to take a big fall either as a real life or fantasy quarterback. Yeah, I mean, it should come as no surprise that Watson has been better throwing to an elite receiver like DeAndre Hopkins than, than everyone else. I still think this is a strong pass catching core. You know, they, they added Brandon Cooks and Randall Cobb to Will Will Fuller and Kenny Still. So they go four deep with quality wide receivers. They have two strong pass catching backs. I mean, we know Duke Johnson was solid there last year. He's been solid throughout his career. Even David Johnson last year, he, he struggled on the ground, but he was still effective in, in the passing game. So it's a nice group of weapons for Deshaun Watson. He still obviously brings the rushing upside. He's finished as, as a top five quarterback in two straight seasons. So maybe he drops off a bit, but I, you know, I still think he, he's a good bet to finish inside the top eight and probably even inside the top six again. I agree with that. And he's sitting in at QB six in July, best ball tens, ADP is going in the second half of round seven, a full round behind Dak Prescott, nearly a round behind Kyler Murray, basically even with Russell Wilson, and then more than a round ahead of QB seven, Josh Allen. I think that's probably an appropriate 
range, at least in price for Deshaun Watson. I prefer Dak Prescott and Russell mm-hmm. Wilson over him, but I will take Watson ahead of both Kyler Murray and Josh Allen, as I said before. Yeah, Kyler over Deshaun for me, definitely Deshaun over Josh Allen. Now, I haven't drafted Watson, I don't think, a single time yet. Again, I think he's fine where he's going. And another mark in his favor, especially in best ball, is his his receivers are all cheap. You know, Fuller, Cooks, even Randall Cobb, you can get super late. So I think he he's a good stacking option when you consider how how cheap his weapons are yeah I was gonna say the same thing I think that that might be the best mark in favor of drafting Watson where he's going because he, he doesn't he certainly doesn't stand out as a value in that range versus the other quarterbacks I mentioned but it is easier to get either Will Fuller or Brandon Cooks maybe even both of them if you want to build that kind of uh, best ball roster and I think Deshaun Watson too is worth watching in case he slips past ADP because there are definitely plenty of fantasy owners that are wary of Deshaun Watson without DeAndre Hopkins. So I would not be surprised at all if he slips around or too often in drafts behind players such as Josh Allen or Matt Ryan, who are generally behind him in ADP. Right. And to me, there is still kind of a tier gap between Watson and the rest of the guys, including Josh Allen. So yeah, he is a guy where if he slips a, a bit beyond ADP, I think it's good to you know go get him a round or two before that big quarterback run starts. On to running back notes, and I feel like we talk about David Johnson basically every other show here. He did not top five carries in a game last year after week six. He topped 12 carries just twice. He stunk as a runner by any measure. I think he has never rated especially well as a rusher. He's still living off that one huge volume season, but you know we've hashed this one out before. So I guess, is there anything new on David Johnson? No, and you know he, he's one of the guys where... I would have liked to have seen him in preseason. Hopefully we'll hear about how he looks and how the Texans plan to use him in training camp. I still think there's a chance that he just sucked last year because of the back and ankle injuries. He, he was running back nine in fantasy points over the first five games of the season You know when he was healthy. So I think there's a chance he's not dead. I think the Texans obviously believe in him still considering they went out and traded for him. It's going to depend how much volume he gets because we know volume you know matters much more than anything else for running back. So hopefully we'll see and learn about how the Texans plan to split work between David Johnson and Duke Johnson. Yeah, and the other aspect beyond the you know question about injury and his performance last year that makes me a little bit wary is even at his best, David Johnson is a better receiver than a runner, and he's going into a Houston offense. I mentioned this you know back in May, I think, on one of these shows. The Houston offense has not been particularly friendly to running backs with receptions. Duke Johnson's 44 catches last year marked the first time that a Houston back has reached 40 since 2012. That was Arian Foster. That was before Bill O'Brien was a coach. It was certainly well before Deshaun Watson was around. So it just hasn't been a high target volume spot for running backs. The other side is David Johnson's going late enough. I think he's RB22 where I can't be like, ah, David Johnson's a terrible pick right there. It'd be logical to expect the Texans to throw more to their running backs when they have, you know, these two solid pass catching options out of the backfield. And of course, DeAndre Hopkins leaving behind about 10 targets per game. So there's obviously the opportunity for more targets to go to the running backs. You know, maybe that's something Tim Kelly changes as the play caller. Yeah, and that's the kind of thing that would be nice to learn about in camp or the preseason, and we don't know yet if we're going to be able to learn that kind of stuff. Duke Johnson's the guy. We've already mentioned him some. Of course, he did basically nothing for us in fantasy last year. Surprising after they traded a third-round pick for him, and particularly disappointing because we did, you know, push him up well into the single-digit rounds. The good thing this year, though, you don't have to pay nearly as much for him. You can get him in the round eight, round nine, round 10 range. And if you dislike David Johnson this year as I do, I think it makes Duke Johnson more attractive in that range of drafts. 
Yeah, I mean, if nothing else, he's a high-end handcuff because I, I still believe he'd be awesome with, you know, 15 or so touches per game. Duke actually finished PPR running back 30. I agree, he was, you know, borderline useless because we just couldn't count on the volume. But at least in, in best ball leagues, you know, again, he was PPR running back 30. He had six top 24 PPR weeks last year. That was actually 25th most among, among running backs. So even if he just plays a similar role, he, I think he's at least grabbing in best ball. You know, he's, he's going to give you a few weeks because of the pass catching ability. I think the concern is, will he lose targets to David Johnson? Because Carlos Hyde, as the lead back last year, saw just 16 targets. David Johnson's obviously going to see more than that. So Duke's going to going to need, I think, more targets to go to the running back position if he's going to see another 62 targets like he did last year. Yeah, I think the good bet is that he loses targets to David Johnson, who is obviously a better receiver than Carlos Hyde. I think Duke Johnson is a strong value at where he's going, but he's going to be less attractive probably on a lineup setting roster because I, I don't expect him to be startable when David Johnson is healthy. We'll see where that goes. There certainly is big upside if David Johnson goes down at some point. I think in that scenario, there's a chance that Duke Johnson shows Houston whatever he didn't get a chance to show them last year and keeps more work after David Johnson returns. At, at minimum, he's a good pick in basketball drafts right now. I, I'm with you. I think once we get to lineup setting, we should be treating him more as a handcuff than a standalone option. Pass catcher notes. Obviously, we have to start with DeAndre Hopkins being gone, which, we, which we've already mentioned. His target shares over the past five years, 31.3%. 32.2%, So he was not only the number one wide receiver in Houston, he was an absolute target hog. He was most of the pass offense. So he leaves behind a lot of opportunities for the other guys. 10.1 targets per game over the past two seasons from Deshaun Watson, DeAndre Hopkins average. So it's a huge opportunity left behind here for these other wide receivers. And, and we'll talk about him here, but I don't, I don't think that opportunity is getting baked into these guys' price tags. I agree. And let's start with the new guy because they traded for Brandon Cooks, you know, shortly after trading away DeAndre Hopkins. Fantasy drafters are collectively down on Brandon Cooks because of last year. He finished wide receiver 61 in total points, a career low in points per game by a lot, and did suffer two concussions pretty close together. Now he has at least five of those for his career. So that's worrisome. You know, one more concussion this year, maybe it'll end Brandon Cooks' season and perhaps put his career into question. That said, as long as he's on the field, he he's also coming off four straight 1,000-plus yard seasons before last year. He did that with three different teams. He had PPR finishes of wide receiver 13, 15, 9, and 13 in those four seasons. Obviously, Brandon Cooks was fortunate to start his career with Drew Brees and then spend a season with Tom Brady, but he spent the last two with Jared Goff. Deshaun Watson is definitely an upgrade over Jared Goff. And I like that. Two of those 1,000-yard seasons came in his first season with a new team, you know, with the Patriots in 2017 and then with the Rams in 2018. So he's shown the ability to come right into a new offense and produce. Now, in this offseason, it's going to be even tougher because you know he hasn't had OTAs. You know, We'll see exactly what training camp looks like. Again, probably no preseason. So it's going to be a bit tougher. But like you said, you know, Cook's proven track record of production. He's just 27 in September. You know, the guy, he's still a young guy. So to, to me, the concussions are the only concern. And I think, again, that's that's more than priced in right now at his ADP. Yeah, I think recency bias and the fact that have all, did all three teams trade him or was he just a free agent to New England and then traded the other two times? No, I think he, he was traded to all three teams. Yeah. So I, I think recency bias plus the fact that three teams now have traded him away yeah. is 
making people think that Brandon Cooks is not that good a player. I mean, the guy was a first-round pick. We, the production's been there. The speed's there. So I, I just think if you're thinking that Brandon Cooks is not that good, then you're thinking about it wrong. Yeah, exactly. I, I would love to know why he's been traded three times. Um, you know, There's got to be something up there. But again, he, he's produced, which is all we care about in fantasy. Yeah, I mean, the most recent one, I think, was totally contract. I, I think that the Rams paid him too much money, and now they've had a whole lot of other guys that they need to pay. The other two teams got a first-round pick for him, so it's a little bit more understandable. I, I think it was surprising back when the Saints unloaded him, a little bit less surprising with the Patriots because they've always valued other things more than players. Yep. Will Fuller is the other guy, the incumbent, with Deshaun Watson. He's put up big numbers so far. When those two have connected, 65.7% catch rate for Will Fuller, 14.6 yards per catch, 12.8% touchdown rate. Of course, the duo went touchdown crazy in Deshaun Watson's abbreviated debut, they played, I think it was five games together. I don't have that number in front of me. The past two years, though, 16-game pace for Will Fuller has been 72 catches, 1,043 yards, six touchdowns. So, you know, that's down from the overall big numbers with Watson, but those numbers would have been wide receiver 24 in PPR last year. So even, I guess, subdued Fuller and Watson numbers make for a pretty good fantasy receiver. Yeah, it definitely does. Um, and we know the concern with Fuller has been the injuries. You know, he's missed 22 games over his first four NFL seasons now, but he, he's been good when on the field. And that, that's been sharing targets with DeAndre Hopkins. I think Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks are, are both good receivers. My money is on Fuller leading the team in targets this year just because he has that rapport with Deshaun Watson. And again, I think that's important in this offseason. So yeah, I think Fuller is another guy who is really underpriced right now considering the the target upside he has. It might be important to say targets per game though because 16 games looks like a, a dream for Fuller at this point. He's missed six, nine, and five games the past yeah. few years. 2017 was a broken collarbone, so it's a freak thing. But knee or and or hamstring issues every single season. It's the persistence of the hamstring trouble is really the most worrisome, I think. Yep, that's definitely the risk, but guys are injury prone until they're not. I think it's, you know, not out of the realm of possibility that Fuller strings together a healthy season. This is a contract year for him, so, you know, that is a extra motivation to stay on the field. And again, I, I think the injury risk is definitely priced in right now. I think his upside is well beyond where he's going in drafts. There is room for Randall Cobb to be a later round option. I'm not getting fired up though for a number three receiver in this offense. I, you know, I I can't mention him though without uh, granting that there is handcuff type upside for him given the injury histories we've talked about for both Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks. Yeah, and again, I think Cobb's going late enough in drafts. He's wide receiver 69 in uh, basketball drafts over the past couple of weeks. So I, you know, I, I have no issue with him at that price tag, especially with the injury histories of, of Cooks and Fuller. You know, Cobb was good last year. He had 828 yards on 53 catches in Dallas, finished 42nd among receivers in PPR points. I do think he was a bit of a product of that awesome Cowboys passing game. You know, Cobb was pretty disappointing the three prior seasons in Green Bay. Even last year, you look at his PFF receiving grade, it was just 44th among 79 qualifying wide receivers. Cobb turns 30 in August, so I think you know his best days are behind him. So I think I think his numbers take a step back from what we saw last year. But again, at the price tag, wide receiver 69, I think he's okay to take shots on. Yeah, I agree with all that. And you mentioned situation. He steps into a pretty good one this year with two speedy guys on the outside and Deshaun Watson as his quarterback. So I can't get excited about Randall Cobb, but he certainly makes sense in the range that he's going. And I, I can't deny that there is upside to him from there, especially with the injury histories of the other guys. Tight end is a little too crowded for me to like in Houston. We had Darren Fells last year scored on 20.6% of his catches. That's obviously not going to happen again. They did re-sign him, so I guess he'd be the first one that I would take, but 
It's just crowded. Jordan Aikens, I think, is more enticing as an athlete. But Darren Fells doubled him up in red zone targets. There's Jordan Thomas, who was on IR for the first half of last year. He could be back in the mix this year if he's healthy. And then probably the guy that I like the best, just like as a as a long-term outlook with Kahale wearing. But again, with four of these guys that I have to wonder about, that, that's just way too much for me to even pay attention to wearing for 2020. Yeah, four guys here who all could be in the mix. And the Texans have been below league average in target share two tight ends in five of Bill O'Brien's six seasons. Maybe that changes this year with all those DeAndre Hopkins targets left behind, but O'Brien doesn't run an offense that features tight ends. So you combine that with the fact that there's so many guys here. Um, This is a situation I've just been avoiding in drafts. Who I like, we alluded to it earlier. It's primarily the wide receivers, Brandon Cooks, Will Fuller. Fuller is going at wide receiver 33 in July, best ball tens drafting first half of round seven cooks at wide receiver 38 in the first half of round eight. I mean, that's plenty late enough to bake in the injury risk on both of them. I think you can get some of each player. I think you can take both of them on the same team even, whether we're talking best ball or lineup setting. Yeah, definitely. I like both those guys. Again, I think it's a reason to maybe consider Deshaun Watson a bit earlier than those guys and get the stack. Randall Cobb is cheap at wide receiver six. And even Kenny Stills, I I think Kenny Stills is actually the handcuff here where like if Fuller or Cooks miss time, it's going to be Stills sort of subbing in for them on the outside. So I think, you know, in super deep best ball leagues, Kenny Stills is even in play if you do draft Fuller or Cooks. I also want to mention in the same range, I think there are so many receiver options with plenty of upside that neither Cooks nor Fuller feels like a must for me. I mean, we've got Jarvis Landry, AJ Green just ahead of Fuller in ADP. We've got Deontay Johnson, Marvin Jones in between the two of them. And then Christian Kirk and Jamison Crowder right behind them. So neither Texans guy is like a, I'm going to take him every time, but there's certainly values in the range where they're going. Yeah, that, that's fair. I mean, we've talked about how deep wide receivers, especially in that Will Fuller range. Fuller is a guy I've been prioritizing, though. I just think he had, you know, maybe A.J. Green sort of matches him in, in upside, but I think, you know, Green might come with even more risk than Will Fuller just because we haven't seen him in so long. So Fuller's upside sort of has me targeting him in this range, especially now we're, you know, still in best ball season where those big spike weeks matter more. I agree with more risk on Green, but I do think his ceiling's higher than Fuller at this point. Could be, yeah. Who I don't like? Big surprise, it's David Johnson. I mean, running back 22, it's an okay price. I just don't believe in him, so I'd rather go for a wide receiver in round four. I'm with you that I'm generally targeting wide receivers where he's going, but at running back 22, David Johnson's sort of like at the very end of this tier of running backs in ADP. I mean, he's going six picks after Le'Veon Bell. He's going 15 picks after Todd Gurley, 16 picks after Melvin Gordon. I prefer Gurley and Gordon. But I'm not sure I prefer them, you know, a round and a half ahead of DJ. If I do need a running back where he's going, I'm fine with David Johnson. I think the other mark in his favor is, is Duke Johnson's at running back 49. So you can you can take Duke as the handcuff pretty cheaply. On to the Indianapolis Colts now. Relevant coaching changes, nothing of note here. The closest thing, I think, to relevance is Mike Grow arrives. He's the wide receivers coach now. He was the Eagles OC last season, but then Philly dumped him. Coached with Frank Reich before. Frank Reich heads into his third year as a head man in Indy. The inclination is to believe in him as a coach, but I I wonder how much we really have to go on on that front. He's spent six years now as either an offensive coordinator or a head coach across three teams. Four of those offenses have finished 16th or worse in points. Just two of six ranked worse than 15th in Football Outsiders DVOA, though. So, you know, I, I think positive overall, but maybe let's make sure that we're not 
glorifying Frank Reich too much in terms of impact on players. Last year's Colts, of course, are really tough to read. We lost Mm -hmm. Andrew Luck just before the season started. Surprise, even the Colts, it seemed like. Jacoby Brissett led the team after that. T.Y. Hilton dealt with injuries all year. So it was a tough offense to pilot, I'm sure. And then the 2016 Eagles were the other offense that didn't perform particularly well. They had Jordan Matthews as a target leader. They had Ryan Matthews as the carry leader at 155. So there were issues with that offense as well. Again, overall, I think positive, but not superb results for Frank Reich to this point. Yeah, I mean, I think the Colts offense did pretty well considering, you know, their quarterback retired in August. It's worth noting that the Colts were much run heavier last season than they were in 2018. Not a surprise when, again, you lose your quarterback. They ran it on 46.5% of their plays last year after just 38.1% in 2018. And you know that 38.1% is closer to what we, we've seen from Frank Reich in his previous stops. You know He's been between 36 and 41% for three of his four seasons before arriving in Indy. So I think Frank Reich wants to throw it more, and I think he will now that he has you know a quarterback he can trust a bit more in Phillip Rivers. With Frank Reich in 2018 and with Andrew Luck behind center, they went 61.9% pass, as you mentioned. It was the seventh most pass-heavy offense in the league that season, despite the Colts going 10-6 and and making the playoffs as a wild card, so it's not like losing really drove that number up. Last year with Jacoby Brissett, 53.6% pass, the fifth most run-heavy offense in the league. Again, makes sense given the situation. They were 7-9. 56.8% pass, even in losses. So, you know, they definitely weren't leaning too much on Jacoby Brissett, even when they were trailing. You mentioned Philip Rivers is in now. I still expect less passing than when Andrew Luck was on board, but I mm-hmm. would expect more passing than with Jacoby Brissett. Over his six years as an OC or a head coach, Frank Reich has averaged 59.3% pass, a median of 60%. I projected this team at 59-41 for pass run split this year. You mentioned the 61.9% pass rate in 2018. You look back at 2014 and 2015 in San Diego, Frank Reich and Nick Sirianni, who's the Colts offensive coordinator, were together on those teams. Those teams threw at 60.5% of the time and 64.3% of the time. So again, I I think Reich kind of wants to be near that 60% mark. You also look at the roster, though, and this O-line and they draft Jonathan Taylor in the early second round, who who I think could immediately be one of like the 10 best runners in the NFL. So I think this team is set up a bit more to run. So I'm with you. I went 58.5% pass for the Colts this season, sort of splitting between where they were in 2018 versus 2019. And we'll get to Jonathan Taylor in a few minutes. But first, quarterback notes, Phillip Rivers, who has experience, as you mentioned, with Frank Reich. Reich was the, the OC for the Chargers in 2014 and 2015, was also their QB's coach in 2013. So three previous years coaching Phillip Rivers. To me, Phillip Rivers looked like a declining passer last season. The pass rating was well down from uh, 2018. But in 2018, he also put up a passer rating that matched his career high. So he's not that far removed from a strong season of production. Career low touchdown rate last season. That can be fluky. You know, we'll see what that means. Graded out 19th as a passer, according to Pro Football Focus. So not a good number there. Was ahead of Jared Goff, Baker Mayfield, Teddy Bridgewater. Way ahead of Daniel Jones, you know, among others. Frank Reich, after they signed him, said, quote, All of the throws I saw on film and as I studied them and went back and compared them to previous throws, I really didn't notice any physical gifts diminishing at all. He called Philip Rivers elite. So Frank Reich certainly has watched a lot more and knows a lot more than I do. So that makes me think, okay, 
I will not treat Phillip Rivers as this guy who is completely over the hill this season. Well, Rivers' problem last year was the 20 interceptions. He, he actually ranked top 10 in both completion rate and adjusted completion rate. His 7.8 yards per attempt was good for 13th in the NFL. So he, he was still an above average passer if you remove those mistakes. Again, the 20 interceptions. I think also noteworthy that Rivers beat Jacoby Brissett in both PFF passing grade and adjusted completion rate last season. So I, I I do believe the Colts are getting an upgrade at quarterback here. That's obviously good for the skill position guys. Rivers as a fantasy option himself, though, he, I think he's pretty unexciting. I don't expect big pass volume for Rivers on this Colts team. And of course, he, he brings no rushing upside. He's certainly unexciting, but he's also going QB 25 in ADP right yeah. now. So there's only upside from there. I think that makes it more important to look at his you know, performance and what he has left for the offense overall, for especially the Colts pass catchers, rather than for his particular fantasy outlook. Because he's just going in the range where you're like, okay, I need a late QB2 or a QB3. Phillip Rivers makes sense. He can at least give me some good games. Even if he's just at the same level as last year, mm-hmm. I think he'll be fine for the Colts pass catchers. Yeah, as you mentioned, definitely helps that he has experience with Frank Reich, has experience with OC Nick Sirianni as well. This is also probably the best O-line Rivers will ever play behind. I mean, at least the best O-line in recent memory. He played behind some bad O-lines in Los Angeles and San Diego. Um, the Colts return all five starters to their O-line this season, um, and the Colts ranked 7th in adjusted sack rate last year. It's, it's definitely a strong unit. And I mean, if everybody stays healthy here and things work like they could with the talent they have on hand, I don't think it would be crazy if Phillip Rivers finishes the season like QB 14. No, I mean, there's been, there's been crazier things, and, you know, quarterbacks are, are so bunched up in, in fantasy points. You know, if he does, you know, kind of fall into a high touchdown rate. It's definitely possible. I'm not arguing against Phillip Rivers where he's going in drafts. I, I just, I can't say I've been targeting him there. He's just, again, I, I don't, I don't see a ton of upside. He's just not an exciting fantasy option at this point of his career. Right. I agree. Running back notes. They drafted Jonathan Taylor with their second pick of round two. They actually traded a fifth round pick to move up three spots to be able to get him there. Taylor was the third running back off the board in the draft. Clyde edwards Elaire, of course, went at the end of round one. Then DeAndre Swift went a little bit before to Detroit. Cam Akers and J.K. Dobbins, though, were still on the board. Safeties were still on the board. Grant Delpit, Antoine Winfield. So clearly the Colts wanted Jonathan Taylor, and they went and got him. So given that, I'm just not buying Frank Reich's talk about Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor being even. Yeah, I mean, Frank Reich's been talking up all three of his backs. There's been a lot of Naheem Hines buzz as well. If they're trying to get the ball to their, their best running back, it's it's going to be Jonathan Taylor as the lead guy, I think, right out of the gate. I think Taylor might already be like you know, one of the 10 best runners in the NFL. I mean, he checks every single box as a runner coming into the league. Has the size. He's 226 pounds, ran a 4.39 40, just monster production over his three years at Wisconsin. Um, he, he actually holds the NCAA record with an average of 2,058 rushing yards per season. The knock against him is the lack of pass catching production at Wisconsin, just 42 career catches across his three seasons. Did have 26 catches last year and actually fared well in yards per route run. He, he beat DeAndre Swift and Clyde Edwards-Alaire in yards per route run last season. So I think there's more ability there than what we saw I also believe, though, that you know we're going to see Naheem Hines and maybe Marlon Mack do more of the pass-catching stuff than Taylor this year, which obviously hurts his fantasy upside a bit. Yeah, I believe the 1A, 1B stuff as far as how the season begins in terms of splitting the work, you know, unless something, unless Taylor just outplays Marlon Mack in camp. 
But I, I just don't think that that's how the season's going to finish. I think at some point Taylor's going to separate, even if Max stays healthy and health has been an issue for Max so far. Their schedule, I think, combined with this scenario also makes it worth considering Jonathan Taylor, like keeping an eye on Jonathan Taylor as a fairly early season bye. They open with the Jaguars, which should be a fine matchup for rushing, but then the Vikings, Jets, and Bears the next three. So those could be negative rushing matchups. So if we're getting a, a workload split plus the Colts not being able to run the ball great in those games. We could be looking at Jonathan Taylor as like a nice week five right. buy. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to pencil him into our uh, second buy-sell hold report already. There you go. And Taylor's going RB18 right now. He's late in round three. So I think that's early enough that he's not a must grab because of the situation. Yeah. But I also think it's not so early that you need to pass over him. I know. I mean, he's going like five or six spots ahead of where he sits in our rankings, and that's in our PPR rankings. And that's just because again, we don't have him projected for a lot of of, of pass catching work. So I, I haven't drafted Taylor a single time yet in redraft, which scares me. I love the guy. I love the situation. So I think I'm going to have to force myself to sort of reach above where he sits in our rankings a few times just just to get some Taylor. Yeah, not a, not an every time guy, but definitely somebody I don't want to be. I don't want to have zero shares of heading into the season. Yeah, agreed. It is tough to take him over James Conner in the same range, though, because I think Conner has every bit as much opportunity upside and his workload is much safer. Taylor is in that range of running backs where all those guys have questions, even with Conner. Can he stay healthy? He hasn't been able to the past two Mm -hmm. seasons. So, again, I don't think it's crazy at all where Taylor is going, even though it is a few spots higher than we have him ranked. Marlon Mack is at RB35 late in round seven in July ADP. I like the value on him there for a best ball roster. That said... I would much rather take Darius Geis, who is basically the same in ADP. And then James White and Ronald Jones are are just ahead of them as well. All those guys are within six overall spots in ADP. And then behind Marlon Mack, we've got Tevin Coleman and both Dolphins. So, I mean, I'll take some Marlon Mack in that range, but I'm also not targeting him. Yeah, I can't say I'm interested in Mack right now. I think... At least by October, he's going to be like a six to eight carry per game guy. What could be interesting is if Mac steals a lot of Naheem Hines' pass catching work. We'll talk about Hines here, but um, Hines hasn't been effective in the passing game. So I think there is a potential for Mac to take over some of that. that. That'd give him a better chance at fantasy value. But again, I think Marlon Mack's a, a good player. I, I just think Jonathan Taylor is going to get in there and prove to be the Colts' best running back pretty quickly. I agree with that, and I don't see Marlon Mack taking receiving stuff because they haven't been giving it to him the previous two seasons when there was no Jonathan Taylor in the mix. And Naheem Hines is at RB52. Frank Reich has has talked him up, has created a bit of a fantasy stir. The big one was when he basically said, I wouldn't be surprised if we get a 10-catch game from Naheem Hines at some point this year. He also pointed to Phillip Rivers' quote, uncanny ability to get the ball to the backs in the passing game. So he said that there's going to be fewer snaps for Naheem Hines than Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor, but also said that that Hines would be integrated into the game on all three downs. So I think, you know, given that he's going at RB52, it's fine to take yeah. some Naheem Hines. Yeah, and RB52 is actually lower than we have him ranked, so I, I can't argue against him. I, again, I, I don't think Hines is very good. You know, he, he's averaging just 3.7 yards per carry for his career. He, he's sort of proven ineffective as a ball carrier. Even in the passing game, he's gotten big volume, which has helped, but he has not been efficient. He's one of 20 running backs to see 100 plus targets over the past two seasons. He ranks dead last among those 20 running backs in yards per target. We also saw his target share drop from 12.6% as a rookie to 11.3% last year, despite T.Y. Hilton dealing with injuries for most of last season. So, you know, there, there should have been more opportunity for Naheem Hines. So again, I just wonder if the Colts 
scale back his target volume even even more in his third season. Yeah, there's definitely a risk for that, but Hines also loaded up on target volume early in his rookie season when Marlon Mack missed basically the first four games. I think he played a little bit in one of those, but mm-hmm. he, he Hines loaded up on touches in those games. So I'm not surprised by a little bit of drop in targets here. I think he's a better player than what he has shown efficiency wise so far. I, th- I don't think that he has truly been unlocked yet. I'm not sure he's in the right place to be unlocked. I mean, the backfield only got more crowded with Jonathan Taylor, who's now the best overall player there. But I do think Naheem Hines is a better player than what he's shown so far. We'll see. I'll, I'll, I'll give him one more year to prove it. But Hines just isn't the type of player I draft. I just don't like drafting the pure pass catching backs. I, I don't think, you know, the ceiling is that high just because he, he's you know never going to be a 200 carry guy. I agree. And I don't mean to make a strong case for him. He's going certainly in a range where he makes sense, but I'm also not usually taking a running back in that range because, you know, the, the ceiling is limited. Yep. Pass catcher note, T.Y. Hilton. We've talked about him multiple times on this pod so far. He was going wide receiver 28 in May, still just wide receiver 27 in July, best ball 10s drafting. That's really been his working fantasy floor in production so far. He's only fallen short of that level as a 2011 rookie. And then last year with the combo of Jacoby Brissett and injury. The upside for T.Y. Hilton has included three career finishes among the top 15 PPR receivers. I mean, I will stop short of saying I'm excited about him at this point. Hilton is a speed receiver coming off calf, quad, and hamstring injuries over the past two years. He turns 31 in November, so he probably has lost at least a half step or a step from where he started. But the Colts have also altered his role. His two shortest average depths of target have come the past two seasons since Frank Reich arrived last year at 10.4 yards. So I wouldn't be surprised if that goes a little bit further down the field with better quarterback play, though. I think, though, shorter range stuff for T.Y. Hilton makes him more of a true number one receiver for them. And I think the QB upgrade should push him beyond where his ADP has him. Right. I mean, we, we really saw his role change last year. You mentioned the career low average depth of target. Um, you know, he was averaging 7.7 targets and 5.3 catches per game over his first six before the injury started to strike. So he, you know, he was playing more of a possession receiver role, which seems strange for T.Y., but I also think that might fit better with Phillip Rivers at this point in his career. Rivers' passer rating on deep throws last year was 31st out of 35 quarterbacks with 20-plus deep attempts. So he struggled throwing deep. So, again, I think Hilton is a short-range guy. Might make more sense, might fit better with Phillip Rivers. I, there, there are concerns, you know, the new quarterback, the injuries, as you mentioned, his age. But, but I think he's priced right where Hilton definitely has some value and definitely has the potential to, to beat his price tag pretty handily if he can stay healthy. Paris Campbell, Michael Pittman Jr., they should round out the top three. We'll see, you know, if the weird offseason makes it tougher for Pittman. There's upside to the situation for each guy, especially given the recent injury history for T.Y. Hilton. But it's a fairly crowded pass offense. You know, there are questions about Phillip Rivers at this stage. The offense was run heavy last year. Pittman at wide receiver 61, Campbell at wide receiver 65, both of them available at the end of round 13 and beyond that. So there's there's upside again to both players and to the situation. I'm not targeting either of them though. Yeah, as you mentioned, run heavy offense, some quarterback concerns. Um, this is an offense that pushes more targets to tight ends than average. We'll talk about that next. So yeah, I'm not super excited about Pittman or Campbell. They're definitely going late enough. They're fine to take shots on you, especially if you know say, say you draft Phillip Rivers. I think it might make sense to stack him with one of these guys super late. Michael Pittman wasn't a receiver 
I liked too much coming in. I think it's possible I'm too low on him. You know, he went 34th overall. That's a big check mark in his favor. Has the size, has the athleticism, had a big season last year at USC. It was his senior season. His market shares weren't super great because USC's passing game was so good. So again, not a great looking prospect profile, but he goes 34th overall again. There's plenty of opportunity here. I mean, I think the Colts are expecting him to be the number two wide receiver right out of the gate. Frank Reich compared Michael Pittman to Vincent Jackson, who of course Reich coached in San Diego at the time and uh, Philip Rivers played with Vincent Jackson. So I think that's sort of the upside. That's how, how the Colts envision this guy. I like that. I hadn't heard that comparison. That's definitely a mark in Pittman's favor for me. Yeah. And one thing that, that he does have going for him is he could immediately be their best end zone target option. I mean, bigger than both Paris Campbell and T.Y. Hilton, and it's a team that could use some wide-out help in that range. Yeah, again, uh, 6'4", 223 pounds for Michael Pittman. So he, he he could definitely lead this team in touchdowns this year. The thing that keeps me from from targeting either of these guys too much beyond the crowded situation, in that same range in ADP, we've got Brandon Ayuk, we've got Alan Lazard, and we've got Nikhil Harry as just a, a few guys mm-hmm. going on similar ADPs who you can also make upside cases for. Yeah, I prefer all three of those guys over these two Colts. There's also one more wide out from this division who's going about four rounds later with at least similar upside that I think we'll talk about in a few minutes. But for now, let's move on to Jack Doyle. His past three healthy seasons have included two finishes of second on the team in targets and a tie for the team lead in targets last year. In 2019, he saw 12% target share in games with Eric Ebron, saw 18.5% of the targets in games without Ebron. Four of Doyle's largest target shares, though, also came in games that T.Y. Hilton missed or left early back in 2018, which was Frank Reich's first year, and Jack Doyle only played six games. He saw 15.4% of the targets in those six games, all of those with Eric Ebron on the field. Of course, Ebron is now gone. I don't hate Jack Doyle at his ADP. He's just, I just, he, he's just like the most boring guy to draft. I mean, there is nothing exciting about drafting Jack Doyle. Career, 9.0 yards per catch, 7.5% touch and rate. He, Jack Doyle is just not going to outproduce his volume. You know, he, he could easily finish as a top 10 tight end in targets. I, I mentioned how tight end friendly this offense is. Frank Reich's tight end target shares in his six seasons as a OC or head coach. The league average, by the way, is 21%. Reich has gone 27 27.5%, 25.8%, 29.3%, 30.4%, 23.8%, and 21.6%. So he's been above league average all six seasons, well above league average in four of those six seasons. And again, with the question marks at wide receiver behind T.Y. Hill, and I definitely expect the Colts to be near the top of the league again in target share two tight ends. Yeah, and it's certainly worth noting that Frank Reich's previous two stops were in San Diego with yeah. uh, Antonio Gates, and then I believe the beginning of Hunter Henry, then in Philadelphia with Zach Ertz. So that certainly helped. But, you know, as you mentioned, the past two years also saw strong target shares for tight ends in Indianapolis. Jack Doyle, by the way, is four starting years so far as PPR finishes and points per game going back from last season. Last season, he was tight end 23, tight end 8, tight end 5, tight end 18. This year, he's tight end 18 and ADP. The Mm -hmm. biggest area that I think he has room for positive regression, last season, he went 0 for 7 on end zone targets. There were only nine tight ends who saw more end zone targets than he did. And Doyle was the only tight end to see more than four end zone targets without scoring a touchdown. Yeah, and again, I think tight end 18, I have no argument with his ADP there. I I think the reason I haven't 
drafted him is because I'm just drafting Blake Jarwin in that territory over Jack Doyle. I also think Trey Burton is some threat to Jack Doyle's targets as well. Um, Burton obviously had a lost 2019 in Chicago, but he's still just 28 years old. He's two seasons removed from a 54 catch season and tight end eight finish in PPR points. Burton also spent 2016 and 2017 with Frank Reich in Philadelphia. So he's familiar with this offense. Trey Burton is Eric Ebron, zero sugar. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, Eric Ebron vastly outproduced Jack Doyle back in 2018. (laughs) Yeah, but we saw more work for Jack Doyle in their shared games, both in snaps and targets. But you know, anyway, the, the tight end 18 is the big thing in ADP for Jack Doyle. Cause I agree. I like Blake Jarwin better, but I also like Jack Doyle a lot more than you do. So I will take both of those guys and I will chuckle at anybody who says they're not taking Jack Doyle because of Trey Burton. Again, I, I expect Jack Doyle to lead the team in targets. I just think it might be more of like a, you know, 65, 35 split. I think Burton's going to eat into it a bit. Who I like is Jack Doyle at his ADP. I also like T Y Hilton quite a bit at his ADP from among these Colts. Yeah. I like to buy at wide receiver at 27. And I have Trey Burton down here. Trey Burton is tight end 46. He's not even getting drafted in most of these 20 round best ball drafts. I've taken him quite a few times in FFPC as like my fourth tight end in the, you know, 23rd, 24th round. He's still 28. He's two seasons removed from a pretty strong fantasy finish. And I think he should, at least in best ball, give us a few tight end one weeks this season. We'll see if Mo Ali Cox can actually be the <laughs> number two tight end for them this year. Yeah, I've been waiting for that to happen for a couple of years now, so I'm not holding my breath anymore. Who I don't like, really, the Colts are, are too cheap in general for there to be anybody truly unattractive. I ha- I've not taken a whole lot of Jonathan Taylor because mm-hmm. of the range he's going, but there's no Colt that I hate at, at cost. Yeah, no Colt I hate. Um, again, Philip Rivers, I'm not taking him just because I don't see much upside. I'd rather have like Teddy Bridgewater, even Gardner Minshew in that range. And then Jonathan Taylor at running back 18. I need to force myself to start taking him. But again, as we mentioned, tough to take, take him over James Conner, even tough for me to take Jonathan Taylor over Chris Carson. Yeah. Not a big fan of Marlon Mack or Naheem Hines, but I think they're both okay to, to grab a few shares of. Yep. Agreed. Jacksonville Jaguars, Jared, what has changed on the offensive coaching staff here? Head coach Doug Marone back for his fifth season, but a change at offensive coordinator, John D. Filippo out, Jay Gruden in. Jay Gruden spent the previous five years and then uh, five games of last season as the Redskins head coach. Before that, he spent three seasons as the Bengals offensive coordinator. His Redskins tenure, the last two years were obviously ugly. I think bad quarterback play had a lot to do with that. Redskins, I shouldn't be calling them the Redskins anymore, huh? Uh, Washington mm-hmm. finished finished top 17 in yards, though, in each of Gruden's first four seasons there. They were top 16 in points in three of those four seasons. So I think, you know, recency bias maybe has us thinking less of Jay, Jay Gruden than we should. He was okay with the Bengals, too. Cincinnati finished 18th, 12th, and 6th in total points in Gruden's three seasons in Cincinnati. Yeah, it does make you sound kind of MAGA when you keep calling persisting <laughs> on calling them by that name. Jay Gruden has leaned run as a play caller. His median yep. over nine seasons, 57.7% pass. I projected this team to be a little bit more on the passing side. What do you have? Yeah, I have them at 61% pass because I I, I think the Jags are going to be bad. Like I, I think they might be the worst team in the league this season. I just think they're going to be trailing quite a bit, and that, that forces teams to pass. So I have them at 61%. I agree with that. I have them at 59-41. I'm not sure how much of a difference that really makes in that area. But I agree. I don't think Jacksonville is going to be very good. Yep. Quarterback notes, Gardner Minshew is QB 21 in points per game as a rookie. So heading into the season as somebody that we should not have known about because Nick Foles was supposed to be their guy and Gardner Minshew was just a late round draft pick, but you know, quickly became a guy that was fun to know about. QB 17 
in fantasy if you take out the Week 13 game where he relieved Nick Foles. They tried to make Nick Foles a starter again, and it still didn't work. There's plenty of room for Gardner Minshew to grow as a passer. He didn't rate particularly well in that area, but he did rank fifth among quarterbacks in total rushing yards, 20th among quarterback quarterbacks in pass attempts. So that particular area is what makes him attractive, I think, as a fantasy option this season. Yeah, 5.1 carries and 27 and a half rushing yards in his 12 full games last season. That's a full season pace of 82 carries and 440 yards. By comparison, Deshaun Watson carried 82 times for 413 yards last year. So, you know, Minshew was, was on Deshaun Watson's level a, a, as a runner last year. I, I think it's still fair to question him as an NFL passer, you know, a sixth round pick, less than a full season of sample so far. But I think the mark's in his favor. He has a pretty good group of pass catchers, you know, DJ Chark, they drafted LaVisca Chanel, DD Westbrook, not great, but it's good. And I think another mark in his favor, at least as like a quarterback three pick in best ball drafts is that Jags are all in on Gardner Minshew for at least this year. Nick Foles gone. Their backup quarterback is Josh Dobbs. So there, there's no quarterback competition here. It's Gardner Minshew's job. So at least, you know, barring injury, you're going to get 16 games out of him. Yeah, I kept expecting this to be a Cam Newton contender or Jameis Winston or, you know, even Case Keenum, who was with Jay Gruden in Washington last year. So they they clearly believe in Minshew. And Minshew at this point is a decent argument against taking Phillip Rivers because Minshew's QB 24 in ADP compared with Rivers' QB 25, and Minshew brings the rushing, which Rivers does not. Exactly, and I prefer Minshew to Rivers. I prefer Bridgewater to Rivers. That's why I have not been drafting Rivers. I think the Jags are going into this season with, like, they're, they're saying, okay, we'll give Minshew a shot. If he turns out to be our guy, then great, we found our guy. If not, you know, again, we're probably going to land a top three pick in next year's draft, and, and then we'll get our quarterback of the future. Running back notes, Leonard Fournette, I gotta say, I've allowed myself to be talked out of where I had him heading into draft season, but then looking more into him, I'm starting to lean his way again. Seventh in the league in carries last season, sixth in the league in red zone carries, tied for 23rd with just eight carries inside the five-yard line. So did not get as many opportunities in there as his volume would indicate for other guys. 100 targets, which was fourth among running backs last season, and a big jump from previous years. Fournette averaged three and a half targets per game over his first two years, 6.7 per game last year. Certainly, I expect him to come down from that. But last year's Jaguars actually dipped to 21.9% target share for running backs after sending 25% of the targets to that position each of the previous two seasons. I've been all over the map with Leonard Fournette. I started before I did projections. We're talking way back in February, March. I I loved Fournette as like a a third round pick because of the volume you mentioned that he got last year. Then then I sort of soured on him when, you know, uh, the Jags declined the fifth year option that he was reportedly on the trading block during the NFL draft. But I'm sort of with you. I've sort of warmed up to him again. I do think he's a pretty good bet for similar rushing volume again he was seventh in the nfl last year and carries sixth in rushing yards just just had incredibly poor touchdown luck with the three rushing touchdowns also scored zero times on his 76 catches so definitely in for positive touchdown regression i think the rushing volume will still be there i do think the targets are going to decline he's not going to come close to 100 targets again fournette wasn't efficient in the passing game last year 6.9 yards per catch his 5.2 yards per target was 29th among 35 running backs with 40 plus targets last year and the Jags added Chris Thompson. I know, you know, folks will 
chuckle at that because the guy hasn't been able to stay healthy. But he's still been heavily involved in the passing game when he has been healthy. He has the six years of experience with Jay Gruden, so he knows this offense. I think when Thompson is healthy, he's going to be the lead pass catching back in this backfield. Yeah, there's basically no reason to sign Chris Thompson unless you're going to take away a bunch of targets from Leonard Fournette. So that that's what keeps me from championing Leonard Fournette at his price. But he absolutely belongs with the other guys in that range in ADP. Early round three, RB15, right in the same range as Melvin Gordon and, and Todd Gurley. I think Fournette is a safer bet than Melvin Gordon because he doesn't have Philip Lindsay in the backfield with him. He does, though, I think have a lower ceiling and probably also a lower floor than Todd Gurley, who's in a much better offense and similarly does not have bothersome competition in his backfield. Yeah, again, I don't love that Fournette's like a dead man walking in Jacksonville. This is obviously his last year with the team. Um, Again, I think the Jags are going to be bad. That's obviously bad for for game script. And if they, you know, start the season one and ten, do they start just – trying out other guys like Reichel Armstead just to see what they have. But with Armstead, the only guy behind Fournette, you know, along with Thompson, who obviously is more of just a pass catching guy, I I do think Fournette's going to at least open the season with a pretty big ball carrying role. James Conner, I think might be the guy that makes it toughest to like Leonard Fournette in round three, because James Conner's going late in that round and, you know, looks very similar to Fournette, both in in floor and ceiling. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I, I still haven't sorted out how I feel about all, all those third and fourth round running backs. Ideally, I'm you know getting two running backs in the first two rounds and then just taking wide receivers there. Yeah, I think that is probably the ideal way. I just, I want to make sure that I'm not in November thinking, <laughs> I can't believe I didn't draft Leonard Fournette because of Rykel Armstead and Chris yeah. Thompson. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fair. Pass catcher notes, DJ Chark was one of the biggest 2019 breakouts. Wide receiver 18 in PPR, wide receiver 20 in fantasy points per game. Wide receiver 21 now in ADP early in round five. Awesome season for him, especially when you consider that, again, you know, the Jags weren't getting great quarterback play. DJ Chark averaged 8.5 yards per target last year. All other Jags averaged 6.4 yards per target. Chark finished 37th in yards per route run among 75 qualifying wide receivers. He was 25th among those guys in PFF receiving grade. Remember, this guy was an early second-round pick. Like he, he did nothing as a rookie, but the Jags were obviously, obviously – high on him. So I believe in Chark, the player, still some concerns about the quarterback play. I think a mark in Chark's favor though, is that again, I expect the Jags to be trailing a bunch this season to be playing catch up. That helps the volume. I think there's room for regression from what he did last year, even though it wasn't, you know, it wasn't ridiculous production wise. His biggest Mm -hmm. issue are some of the guys going around him that we'll get to in a few minutes. Yeah, I I agree. DD Westbrook stunk last year, 75th in football outsiders DVOA among 81 qualifying wideouts, graded out 111th receiving by pro football focus. Then they add LaVisca Chenault. I'm just not interested in D.D. Westbrook. Yeah, me either. PPR finishes of 33rd and 45th over the past two seasons, but that's come on 100 win targets in both of those years. I think his volume is going to come down quite a bit this year. Westbrook, not a guy I've been drafting, even though he's cheap. And then Chenault's arrival in round two of the draft, there's room here for him to climb to number two among Jaguars wide receivers right away, I think. But mostly it makes it a crowd with him, Chris Conley, D.D. Westbrook. And when you consider the offense, it just makes me not particularly interested in any of those three guys for 2020. Yeah, that's fair. Again, I do think the passing volume could be pretty nice here just because the Jags are going to be playing from behind. Um, I like Chanel as a prospect. You know, he's built like a running back, 227 pounds. He plays like a running back. He led all wide receivers in this draft class in missed tackles forced over the past two seasons, had 42 carries 
over his three seasons in college. And Doug Marone has already talked about using LaVisca Chenault in the backfield at Wildcat quarterback. We'll see if that actually comes to fruition. You know, quarterback or head coaches say that stuff all the time and it doesn't happen, but Chenault does have that experience. So that, that's where he gets exciting to me. If he can, you know, see 80 to 90 targets, but then also carry, you know, 10 to 20 times. That, that's when I think he, he could become a fantasy option. I will certainly say that if I'm taking any of those non-DJ Chark Jaguars wide receivers, it's going to be Chenault. Definitely. Tight end could be a sneaky value spot here because of the, the target stuff that you mentioned. Tyler Eifert is coming off his first 16 game season of his career, finished tight end 20 in PPR. So he's not exciting, but they did sign him in free agency. He did begin his career with Jay Gruden as the Bengals OC back in 2013. That was Eifert's rookie year. Gruden, of course, left after that year to go to Washington. So it's not like they have a lot of history between them. But, you know, Jay Gruden knows what he's getting here. And Tyler Eifert delivered to some degree last year. Josh Oliver is the guy that I'm more excited about if he takes a step forward. But we're going to have to watch him this summer to see if he can kind of push Eifert aside with that contract. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Jags at least want Tyler Eifert to be their guy this season. I mean, we, we didn't get to see hardly any Josh Oliver last year. He, he played in just four games um, due mostly to an August hamstring injury. So I think the Jags want Eifert to be their guy. He's not exciting. The argument for him is that he's, again, a, a likely starting tight end, and he's the 32nd tight end off the board in ADP. I d- definitely think he can beat that price tag if he stays relatively healthy. Yeah, and I mentioned his contract. He signed a two-year deal. There's just $3.25 million guaranteed, though. So he's going to probably open this season as a starter. But just last year, we saw Jacksonville finally be willing to push aside the $50 million quarterback for mm-hmm. the sixth-round rookie. So if they'll do that for that much money at that position, I, yeah. I think it's certainly possible that if Josh Oliver is ready this year and shows out this summer, he could quickly push Eifert aside. That's definitely possible. And, and Oliver going undrafted in, in the 20-round basketball drafts, I think he sometimes goes super late in the FFPCs, but he, he's definitely a, a fine late shot to take, um, especially in FFPC. Yeah, I like Josh Oliver as like a fourth tight end in an FFPC draft. Yep, me too. Who I like overall for redraft on this team? Really no one. I mean, DJ Chark is fine at cost, but he's in a crowded range at wide out. He's basically even an ADP with Tyler Lockett. He's less than a round behind Robert Woods, and I'm just not taking DJ Chark over either of those guys. I don't want to invest any early draft capital in this offense. So the guys I have been taking shots on, again, Gardner Minshew at quarterback 24. You know, If I can get him as my third quarterback in a best ball. LaVisca Chenault at wide receiver 75. I actually like that quite a bit. Again, I think with the volume potential and the rushing potential, wide receiver 75 is a nice price tag. And then the two tight ends super late. Those are the late shots I'm taking. I'm not taking DJ Chark where he's going. Then again, Leonard Fournette. Still shying away from him at running back 15, but warming up to him a bit. Let me throw in on the Gardner Minshew front too. I haven't looked a whole lot at schedules to this point, but here's how Gardner Minshew opens his 2020 schedule at home against the Colts, at Tennessee, home for the Dolphins, at Cincinnati, at Houston, home for Detroit before the week seven bye. So Gardner Minshew not only has the rushing upside, but that's a pretty nice opening schedule for, I think, quarterback uh, fantasy upside. Definitely a nice opening schedule. I mean, I don't think I'd go as far as to say I'd take Minshew as my early season starter in a one quarterback league, but definitely in a two quarterback lineup setting format, I think Minshew makes sense with that schedule. On the who I don't, there's no one expensive enough here, I think, to be a straight avoid. It's really just not an offense that I want to invest in. Yeah, again, Fournette's the only guy that I haven't been taking at cost. And again, that that could be wrong. If he gets similar volume this season, 
he's going to beat his price tag. Rounding out the AFC South, we have the Tennessee Titans. Nothing new on the coaching front for this team. Mike Vrabel heads into his third season as the head coach. Arthur Smith heads into his second season as the offensive coordinator. Last year, in Arthur Smith's first season in that role, Tennessee was the fourth most run-heavy team in the league. They were the second most run-heavy team in the league in 2018. Smith was the tight ends coach at that point. Sixth most run-heavy in 2017. Third most run-heavy in 2016. That is Derrick Henry's career, of course. Derrick Henry finally got to be the workhorse all season last year. As long as Arthur Smith has been around, as long as Derrick Henry has been around, they've been a run-heavy team, and they did finally re-sign Derrick Henry to a four-year extension. So this team is going to be as run-heavy as it can be. I projected them at 54-46 pass run for this season. Yeah, interesting that the Titans even went run heavier under Ryan Tannehill last season. They were 53% pass for the season, 49% pass in Tannehill's 13 starts, including the playoffs. That's obviously the direction they want to go. Tennessee also won a bunch of games um, in the second half of last season, where even in the playoffs, you know, we're playing with pretty sizable leads. So um, I think they might have to throw a bit more this season if they're, you know, I don't expect this to be a dominant team. It's going to be a good team, not a great team. But yeah, I, I do think they're going to be one of the run heavier teams in the league. I went 52% pass for the Titans. Yeah, and a big reason for that even further rushing lean was because they were successful with Tannehill in there. He went 7-3 and three as the regular season starter. I mean, that's going to allow you to run the ball more. And especially if you're already predisposed in that direction, it's just right. going to make it happen even more so. I'll talk about the potential impact on Derrick Henry in a minute, but QB notes first, Ryan Tannehill, we saw what he did last year. We know he's going to regress, but mm-hmm. his quarterback 20 ADP basically makes it not even worth building the case either for mm-hmm. or against him because he's obviously showed us that there is upside well beyond that, even at a regression rate from it. We've also seen in Ryan Tannehill's past that he had five of his six Dolphin seasons fall short of 20 fantasy points per game. So You know, I started out thinking Ryan Tannehill is probably undervalued at that range, but I also had him projected in that range. So I think he's probably fairly priced. I think he takes some shares, but he's not he's not an every draft target for me. Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, we we have him ranked a couple spots higher than his ADP, actually. He's definitely in for regression from the 9.6 yards per attempt, the 8.1 touchdown rate. Those marks aren't sustainable. I also think he's probably going to throw it more this year again. um, I don't think that. Titans are going to be able to run the ball 51% of the time like they did in Tannehill starts. Um, He averaged just 27 pass attempts per game last season. We have him up to 29.1 in our projections. That's going to help. Tannehill also brings rushing upside. Um, He averaged four carries and 18.1 rushing yards per game in his 10 regular season starts. Also averaged about 14 rushing yards per game in Miami. So, you know, we've seen it over extended period of time that he's going to add some value with his legs. Yeah, he was fortunate on the rushing touchdown front last year as well, which obviously helped his fantasy production. So, you know, again, you can look at all of it and you say that there's regression potential here, but it's already baked into his ADP, so it really doesn't matter. Take some Ryan Tannehill because there's only upside from where he's going. Yep, agreed. Running back notes, Derrick Henry, we have only seen seven other seasons of 100-plus rushing yards per game among active running backs in the NFL. Only Adrian Peterson in that group has done that twice. That's what Derrick Henry did last year. I think that if the Titans are not as successful as a team in 2020 as they were under Ryan Tannehill late last year, it could impact Derrick Henry more than it might another lead back because he does not catch the ball. He had no more receptions per game in losses last year than he did in wins. 
64.7% of his rushing yards and 87.5% of Derrick Henry's rushing scores came in the second half of games last season. Obviously, you're going to be running the ball more when you're leading. If you're trailing, you're probably going to be running the ball less in the second half. Henry also averaged 23.8 half PPR points in the team's nine victories last year. He averaged just 12.9 points in the six losses that he played in. So again, if Tennessee is not quite as successful as it was over the second half of last season, I think it could hurt Derrick Henry. Yeah, definitely red flags here. Henry, not the type of running back I like to invest in, especially in the first round, you know, a a one-dimensional back. Again, I think it is clear, though, Tennessee wants to build their offense around him. I think the the new contract he got confirms that. Also, I still think there's a chance his role in the passing game grows. I mean, Henry has been effective when he has gotten the ball in the passing game. Deion Lewis gone now. They did draft Darrington Evans, but you know he's a rookie. We don't know for sure he's going to prove ready for a pass catching role. So I think there's at least upside for Henry to play a bigger role in the passing game. He's not a guy I've been taking at ADP. I do think he belongs in the first round, even though I, I prefer you know someone like Joe Mixon ahead of him, probably even Kenyon Drake ahead of him. Yeah, I can't say that I don't think Derrick Henry belongs in the first round, but I can say that I'm not taking him. I would rather take a wide receiver because I don't think that there's more receiving coming. Most of his his receiving success so far has been when he gets a screen pass and just takes it to the house and builds up his yardage. It's not like he's a player that you're going to split out wide. And I do think that Darrington Evans, although he's unproven, obviously, as a rookie, he's now a younger version of what Deion Lewis brought to the table for them and probably has a little bit more receiving upside than current Deion Lewis does. So I'm not taking Derrick Henry in round one. I'm also not taking Darrington Evans, though. I think he's only a handcuff, and I I don't think that he's somebody that you're going to be able to use as long as Derrick Henry's healthy. Deion Lewis finished his RB63 last year. He never hit 10 PPR points in a game, and he only topped six PPR points in three games last season. Yeah, just 54 carries and 32 targets for... Deion Lewis last year, I think, you know, without a Derrick Henry injury, that's about what Darrington Evans is looking at in a best case scenario. So yeah, just, just a pure handcuff for me. And Derrick Henry, another, I guess, mark in his favor is he's been very durable really throughout his college and NFL career so far. That's because he has so much armor built into him that you just can't get in far enough to injure him. Exactly. Pass catcher notes, A.J. Brown, a tremendous rookie year, a bright future, but he is absolutely bound for regression with his quarterback. 100-plus yards in four of his final six games last year, ranked 20th in PPR, 8th in non-PPR by the end of last season, tied for just 46th, though, among wide receivers and targets, 20.2 yards per catch, scored on 15.4% of his receptions. Target volume's likely coming up for A.J. Brown, but what's the ceiling there on a team that we know wants to run the ball? I think there's a strong chance that A.J. Brown is a a very good player and he's going to be a very good player in the NFL for a long time. I mean, he had a strong prospect profile, had the nice college production, good size, 76th percentile, spark score, was a second round draft pick, is coming off an excellent rookie season, eighth most PPR points by a rookie over the past 10 years. Brown finished third in yards per out run last season among 79 qualifiers. So I think the guy's good, but you know, talent is only half the equation in fantasy football. You need volume too. As you mentioned, Brown just 46th among wide receivers and targets. Last year, he did see more volume over the second half of the season. He went from 4.3 targets per game in the first eight games to 6.3 over the final eight. But that still ranks just 39th among wide receivers over the second half of the season. So, you know, he wasn't even getting wide receiver three volume. So he's going to need that to come way 
way up. He's he's going to need the Titans to throw a lot more. You know, even even if Brown gets a you know twenty five twenty six percent target share, if the Titans passing volume stays so low, that's not going to be enough for him to pay off his price tag. Yeah, and we'll talk about that draft price a little bit more in a minute. Corey Davis, though, is the other wideout worth talking about here. Davis has fallen short of 70 targets in two of his three seasons so far. In between, though, he did finish wide receiver 27 in PPR, saw 112 targets in that season, which was 2018, just tied for 19th at the position in targets. So, you know, didn't even, didn't quite produce at the level that the targets should have put him in terms of fantasy points. Here's the sales pitch, though, on Corey Davis at this point. He was the number five overall pick when he entered the league. He has disappointed overall since, but he has spent all three of those years as a starter, so not a complete washout. Corey Davis is still just 25, and most of all, he is wide receiver 79 in ADP right now, so he is absolutely free. I think the big knock on him is that the Titans declined his fifth-year option. The Eagles, by comparison, picked that up for Nelson Aguilar in 2019. So, you know, the Titans are, are clearly done with Corey Davis unless he makes a big turnaround this season. But I just think at where he's going, it's tough for me to find a better out-of-nowhere type of pick at the end of the draft. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no threat to his number two wide receiver job. I mean, you know, Adam Humphreys is the, the slot guy, but there, there's no one else there that's going to take Corey Davis's job. Now, he's the number... Two wide receiver and again one of the run heaviest offenses in the NFL. We'll talk about Johnu Smith. I think I think there's a chance Smith is actually the number two guy in targets in Tennessee this season. But at that price tag for Corey Davis, I, I still think he's he's a pretty good player. You know, not not the number five overall quality player, um, but I still think he's he's a good player. He actually set a career high last year in yards per target at eight point seven. That was thirtieth best among seventy nine qualifying wide receivers. So even though the counting stats were down. Um, it was actually his most efficient season as a pro. Yeah, and he's improved that. He's improved his yards per catch, and he's improved his catch rate each season so far. So, you know, again, he's been disappointing, but when you're basically paying nothing to get him. And, and Corey Davis as a prospect, I mean, still good speed at his size, 6'3", 209. He was a market shares winner in college. He now has a big threat opposite him in A.J. Brown for the first time in his career, so it's not Corey Davis as the number one receiver anymore. You know, maybe that helps him work a little bit more if this offense maybe the if this team does struggle more and does throw the ball more maybe there's some target upside I don't need that though at the, the price where he's going yeah I mean I think just the fact that he's one injury away from being the team's number one wide receiver you know it makes him worth picking at wide receiver 79 before we get to Johnny Smith Adam Humphreys you mentioned not interesting to me in any format he doesn't have the weekly upside to be more than just a guy in best ball and I think there's not ultimately enough volume upside to make him attractive as a week-to-week starter for a PPR league. Yep, that's all we need to say about Adam Humphreys. Jonu Smith, why don't you give us the case on him? Jonu Smith, to me, is like A.J. Brown, where I think he's good. I worry about volume, though. The difference with Jonu Smith is he's cheap, where you know A.J. Brown, you got to spend a third or fourth round pick on him. But Jonu Smith last year set career highs in targets with 44 and catches for 35, was more productive over the second half of the season, which is always nice to see. And among 35 tight ends with 40-plus targets last year, he was seventh in yards per route run. Um, he was second in yards after contact per reception. He was third in avoided tackles. So again, I think the guy's talented. I wonder if he's going to see enough volume to be like a guy we can count on as a weekly tight end one. I think if nothing else, at his tight end 17 ADP in best ball drafts, he's definitely worth drafting. Yeah, I was wary of Johnny Smith at the beginning of draft season because I know both you and Kevin are high on him. And there was, there was a bit of hype. I thought he was going to be closer to the top 12. But at tight end 17 in July ADP, it's just hard to be against him at that level. Yeah, exactly. 
The only knock for me in targeting Johnny Smith is that Jack Doyle, Blake Jarwin are right behind him in ADP, and those are both guys that I'm taking. Yeah, I still prefer Blake Jarwin straight up, but there's been drafts where I've taken Johnny Smith and Blake Jarwin as my top two tight ends and feel pretty good about it. Yeah, I think especially when we're talking best ball, that's that's fine to do. And I think really for a lineup setting league, you can go in with those two guys and try to play matchups or, you know, yep. play a hot and see if either of those guys turns into somebody that you can count on week to week. For best ball purposes, I generally have two tight ends rostered by the time Smith would come up as a pick for me, and I'm just waiting on a third guy that I'm probably going to take later. I mean, Jay Sternberger is also behind him, and I know he's going to still be on the board. Eric Ebron's also, I think, similarly attractive for best ball. I think Johnny Smith's going to be more reliable for targets when we're setting our lineups, but at this point, Mm -hmm. I think both Johnny Smith and Eric Ebron carry very similar weekly scoring ceilings. Yeah, Jonu Smith, Blake Jarwin, and TJ Hawkinson are my three favorite later round tight end targets. Who I like among Titans, I'm really not buying much here. I do really like Corey Davis, though, at the end of the draft, talking like a seventh receiver. Yeah, I, I wouldn't go as far as say I really like him, but I do think he definitely makes sense of that price tag. Jonu Smith is the only guy I'm really aggressively targeting on this Titans offense. Who I don't like, A.J. Brown is wide receiver 17. He's in the middle of round four. It scares me a little bit to not be on A.J. Brown. But I think that the upside on him is that he does match that price. I don't think that the upside on A.J. Brown is that he finishes like wide receiver six and really makes me regret not drafting him. Yeah, I mean, I think if Brown finishes wide receiver six, then then things went really wrong in Tennessee this season. I think they disappointed. They you know only won five or six games and they had to throw it a bit more. It's it's so funny to me that people are either forgetting or just are failing to mention the fact that that you know Brown did nothing in the playoffs. You know he had one catch for four yards against the Patriots, one catch for nine yards against the Ravens. Even during his hot stretch to close the season, it included games of one catch 17 yards against the Chiefs, one catch 34 yards against the Saints. So I sort of think we're going to see the same thing this season. He's going to have those big spike weeks, you know, games when he breaks off a big play or when Tennessee does have to throw it, you know, 35 plus times. But I also think there's going to be a lot of duds too. And when I'm taking someone in, you know, mid-range, wide receiver two territory. I, I, I want more weekly consistency. I agree. And I, I think similarly for Derrick Henry, I think he's not going to hurt you as much as a best ball pick where you can just, you'll just automatically get other running backs inserted in his down weeks. But I think lineup setting wise, he's going to have deeper valleys than people are expecting if they draft him in round one. I agree. Assuming his um, role in the passing game doesn't grow. Mm-hmm. That's going to do it for the AFC South preview edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now to see how we project all these guys. And then check out the Mock Draft Trainer to see if you like any Titans or Jaguars more than I do. Or if you like Jack Doyle more than Jared does. You can also find the previous four division preview podcasts in this series on the website, as well as the debut of my high stakes podcast with Adam Krautwurst that we recorded yesterday. You can, of course, find all of us on Twitter. We are at Draft Sharks. Jared is at Smola DS. I am at Schauf DS. It's S C H A U F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Schauf saying thanks so much for swimming with us.